Good day to you fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. Who are you relying on? And most of you would answer that question by saying, do you really trust God? You would answer by saying yes. If I asked you to your face, do you really trust God? Do you really rely on God? Do you fully rely on God? You would answer yes to that question. But now if we were in a courtroom, I need you to give you, you to give me your attention now. You can pass a plate without worrying about, you know. So give me your attention now. If we were in a courtroom and I asked you that question, do you really trust God? Sorry, kids, y'all need to go too. If you're third to fifth graders, it's time for y'all to head downstairs. We have a program just for you. Wonder if your question, though, would, in, would stand up under that scrutiny. Is that the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Do you fully rely on God? I'm going to challenge your thinking on this subject today with a great Bible story. And, and, and if the truth be known, I would have to say, and you'll have to admit, each of us face a constant and daily battle to fully rely on God. If you, you understand that, say amen. amen. It's a constant and, and, and real battle for you versus your own devices relying on God. Most of us do this on some partial level. We do what we can do, and we rely on God for the big stuff. We do what we can do, and we rely on God now and then. So we're going to begin by looking at the good news, bad news. If you got the notes, you came in and you have a bulletin or you're using electronic media to take your notes in, I want to put you in the historical context to begin with today. And before I read the scripture that is before you, I want you to understand the historical context this takes place in. If you've been in and around the church for a little while, you should know that the children of Israel were taken captive. That happened in the, in the year of 586 B.C. Right? You've got to stay with me. for heard, Hear me when I say B.C., before Christ. In 586 B.C., the children of Israel were taken captive, and they were taken captive by a group known as the Babylonians. Can you say Babylonians? In turn, years later, Persia came in and took over everything from Babylon. Babylon. 
So they became the people in charge. Those lights will be a continued distraction for you. We had to endure it in the early service. It's not, they're not up there fooling with lights, just so you all know that. It's just a thing that happens with our lights. We haven't quite got figured out and nobody's been able to help us with yet. So in 539 BC, Persia comes in and takes over from Babylon. And under the time and leadership of the Persians, uh, they, they were given the right or the privilege of returning to their homeland. And that's what we're about to, uh, to read here. And, but it wasn't easy. And so we're going to look into the story of Ezra. And this is from Ezra chapter 1, verse 2. Cyrus was the current king in Persia. He was a good king. And he says, you're free to go home and rebuild your temple. And look at what he, how he writes it. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem which is in Judah. No big deal you're thinking as you read this. It is a big deal when you realize he's not Jewish. So read it again, understanding this is the guy that's in charge, if you will, of everything in the world, the known world at the time. He's in charge of it. And he says, the Lord God of heaven... He's talking about the God of the Jews. Has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. He goes on. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel. He's acknowledging it here now. See? Of the Lord, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. He thinks God lives in Jerusalem. And may your God, now you see, he's saying your God, be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute. Boy, is that a good message right there. Let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So here's King Cyrus saying, Look, I want you to go, return to your land. I know you've been captive, but now I'm in charge. And I'm going to let you go and return. And before you leave, however, take an offering from your neighbors. And neighbors, be generous. That's what the king says. Be generous. Give them gold, give them silver, give them supplies for the journey, livestock, that's a pretty good king right there. Cyrus was kind to the children of Israel. And just so again, I'm giving you a little bit of historical context. Jeremiah the prophet, Isaiah the prophet, had prophesied that after years of captivity, Babylon would end 
and their leadership and rulership would end and the temple would be rebuilt. All right, so hang on to that knowledge. Ezra knew that prophecy. And yet God would pick a man who is not notable. Ezra's just like your neighbor that loves Jesus. How many of you love Jesus? How many of you would consider yourself, okay, some of you positive confessioners, you're not going to join me on this, but how many of you would consider yourself not notable? You're just a regular guy. That's all I'm saying. It's okay. You can raise your hands, you know. Not like we're going to have a test after church. I'm a king's kid, pastor. I ain't saying that. Okay, I get it. But Ezra was just a regular guy. That's what I want you to understand. He was a regular guy who loved Jesus. Now I'll move on. He was no great hero, just an ordinary man, but he was serving an extraordinary God. Can you say that? Say, I may be ordinary, I may not be notable, but I serve an extraordinary God. He's a difference maker. When you're done with the natural, the supernatural can take over and he can accomplish things in and through your life that you'll never touch. Hallelujah. The book of Ezra isn't about him. Got his name on it, but it's not about him. You, you go through six chapters before you hear the name Ezra. And it's only, I think, nine chapters. It's about all the people involved in rebuilding the temple. The book focuses on team effort rather than the heroics of a man. How many of you are part of the team? How many of you are here today? So I'll ask the question again. How many of you are part of a team? You're part of the army of God. You're on that same team. So I'm really going to take you down a path first talking about resisting that which is common. Not doing what is common to most. I'm going to go right over to Ezra chapter 8 now. And look at what he says. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king, our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him. But his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. Do you, are you hearing Ezra's confession now? We had told the king. I'm telling you, he's not notable. He's not standing up there. I had told the king. We had told the king. Our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him. Some of you have made a confession. You believe this same thing. 
And so I'm asking you the question. We're starting. We're going to peer into your life. You're going to let the Holy Ghost look into your life a little bit today. Do you mean what you say? Do you swear to tell the truth? The whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you God. Do you mean what you say? Ezra was caught in his faith and belief. He was caught in it. I'm saying that like it's a negative, but I, it's not a negative, but it, he was caught in it. There's no backing out now. Either he really does trust the Lord or he doesn't. And he's actually saying it out loud. For we had told the king that our God's hand is on all who are his children. How many of you are his children? Again, are you in church today? All of you who are in church today, raise your hand, say hallelujah, I'm in church. I wonder if you've ever been caught in your faith and belief. Like Ezra here. You have to think about it for a little bit, but let me set, you, set the tone for you. Have you ever had a family member or friend challenge your belief? Where's your God now? I thought your God was all loving. How did he let this happen to you? How come it's happening in your family? What did you do wrong to deserve this? You ever have your faith challenge now? Whole truth, nothing but the truth. Three of you have had your faith challenged. Do any of you ever talk about Jesus outside of the church? I wonder if you talk a talk that's different from your walk. Ezra was caught, he had made his confession. He had said to him, look, we believe in God. God takes care of his children. Now you got to walk it out, Ezra. And so let me jump into this and simply say faith exercises are critical. Faith exercises are critical. That's what you're going to learn today. You're going to learn how to walk out your faith. You're going to exercise your faith. You're going to learn what that looks like because it's one thing to say I believe it. It's a whole other thing to walk it out. You've got to exercise your faith. I can say I can do push-ups. You can say you can do push-ups. A few of you will say that. You might even say, I can do official push-ups. The kind with a straight back and your toes all the way extended. Not having your knees touch the ground. Doing sissy push-ups. But if you ain't doing no exercises, you can't tell me you can. You may even be able to do a push-up. You may be able to do ten push-ups. 
but I bet you won't do as many as that man standing right in the middle back there, Stephen. <laughs> Why do I know he could do a lot of push-ups? Because he exercises those muscles that are required to do push-ups. Until you put your faith out on a limb, you'll never know if it really works. Until you put your faith out on a limb, you'll never know if it really works. I've told this church family before, there's a lot of you visiting today, so you've not heard the story, and I can't give you all the details. I apologize for that, but I need to give you enough to grab hold of something. When Pastor Amy and I were, were very young in ministry life, we were traveling with an evangelist. We loved that ministry as we loved those people. We went all over the country serving the Lord. We got to do things that when I tell you shoestring budget, we were able to do, it was amazing. I've seen parts of this nation, I can brag about stuff that I've seen, but it's only because we were with this evangelist. We love the ministry. But then God began to talk to us about doing something else. And he not only told us about doing something else, he told us where to go. Oneida, New York. There's one thing in Oneida, New York, and many of you ladies know what it is. They make silverware. Check your silverware in your, in your house, and there'll be a stamp on the back of it, Oneida. That's where it's made. And we went to Oneida, New York, out of obedience. But there's a step in between you got to know. I don't know anybody in Oneida. When God said, go to Oneida, I didn't even know there was an Assembly of God church there. But it's not like the pastor was saying, come on up. We want you to work with us. I had to literally call a pastor I did not know and say, we're coming to Oneida, New York. And he's saying, how can I help you? And I'm saying, I'll do anything I can to help you. Well, we're just a home missions church, pastor. And I already have an assistant. And all I could do was go, he couldn't see it over the phone, but that's what I was doing. I'm just going to go. He said, come on then. Now, to make a very long story short with a, lot of, a whole lot of testimonies in between, I'm simply going to say this to you for your understanding. If we did not go to Oneida, New York on that occasion at that time out of obedience to the Lord, because listen, I had to tell people that I love and love me. I'm going to Oneida, New York. Why are you going to Oneida, New York, son? Because God said to. What's in Oneida, New York? Is there a church there that's going to let you be the pastor? Not exactly, Dad. 
just God saying we got to go. All right, so you know that point. Multiply that by about 15, and then you've got all family members, friends, and people that love us saying to them, we're going to 09 in New York. Now, I will say this. There were a few people that were spiritually in tune that we were surrounded with that knew that we had heard from God and that we had to act in obedience to it. Be careful who you get your information from. We were under this conviction and God did tell us to go. And the short answer is this. If we do not go to Oneida, New York in 1985, I'm not standing in front of you in 2019 right now. That's the end from the beginning, just so you know. That's the omega. I'm giving you the omega without the alpha. The only alpha part was God said go. The omega is the end. I wouldn't be standing here if we didn't do that then. Until you put your faith out on a limb, you'll never know if it really works. Let me take you to the next step. It is incumbent upon believers to stretch their faith. Exercise your faith. If Stephen had his short sleeve, I got, I got Manny over here. He can do it for you. Come on, stand up, Manny. He spends a little time in the gym. You, you can see that. Do me a Hulk. Just do, do one for me. Come on, do that for me, Manny. There you, I, know, I know you want to do that in church. Go ahead, go ahead. Just go ahead. You can do a for real one. Do one like that. There we Come on, turn around and show them, not me. He didn't get like that because he likes gyms. He didn't get like that because he knows about Planet Fitness. Are you listening to me now? He didn't get that way because he knows about them. Same thing with Stephen back there. And there's a few others of us in this building. Don't get like that because they know about those places. They know they exist. They know that they could get more strong. They get that way because they exercise, because they go, and they're consistent in their exercise. If you want to get strong in your faith, you've got to start exercising your faith. If you never leap into something bigger than your own ability to accomplish it, then your faith has never truly been exercised. If you can do it without God's help, it's not requiring your faith. If you can do it without his help, if you got enough money in the savings, then you're not taking a leap of faith. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh, now we touched our pocketbooks. That ain't right. Listen, if you can do it without his help, it's not God. 
It's not faith that's required. That doesn't mean it's not God. You should be doing things that you're capable of doing. But if it's never requiring you to stretch your faith, then you're not going to know that your faith is for real. You got to work at building your faith just like you got to work at making your body stronger. And so what happens with Ezra is he hits a faith hurdle. Ezra hits a faith hurdle. How many of you know what hurdles are? You can lift your hand. It's okay to lift your hand up in church. Pastor's not going to call on you to say something. You either jump over a faith hurdle or you run smack dab into it. I added a third thing this morning because the Holy Spirit said to add it. So it wasn't in the original notes. That's why I don't put it up there. You either run into a faith hurdle, you either jump over a faith hurdle or you run smack dab into it or you don't get in the race. That's where most believers are. This is going to hurt just a little bit. I'm just giving you fair warning. Most Christians operate in that which is most comfortable for them and never actually requires them to leap a faith hurdle. That's where most Christians exist. You love God. You're committed to the Lord. You go to church at least infrequently and you're you're you you know if anybody asks you i'm a christian i love jesus you might even die with your confession of faith for your confession of faith you might be willing to go to that extent but have you ever exercised your faith muscles his statement that is ezra's statement doesn't deny practicality and humanity. He's not denying practicality and his humanity. It is practical or human, excuse me, on so many levels what he says to the king. Clearly he thought about asking for help. He thought about it. It's practical. If I'm going to go on a journey, if I'm going to help, if I'm going to build something big, I need help. I need to get all the people I can get. So along the journey, think about this for a moment. I, I know, I know that you're, you're breezing through this and you read the things in the Word of God. They're traveling with gold and silver, folks. The king said do it. <laughs> They're traveling with livestock. So they need protection. Have you ever gone someplace and you had a lot of cash on you? When we did our trip to Puerto Rico, I was and Mario, there was a couple of us guys that were in, and even Anthony, we were entrusted with some cash. All of those guys, I had guys that knew I was carrying in my backpack $2,000. So I'm looking at everybody. 
If you had a shifty eye, I was calling on the Holy Ghost. Because I know what I'm carrying. And I was relying on big old Mario there. I'm like, you got my back, right, brother? So it's practical that Ezra would be thinking we need protection as we travel with all of these goods. It would have made sense humanly to get help from others. But Ezra realized that though practically or practicality called for human help, faith overruled and meant that if God is in this, he'll see it through. Now, if you're not taking notes, at least take a picture. He understood this. Now, I'm, I'm trying to help penetrate the mindset of those of you who are like, you may run a race, but you're not looking at hurdles. Your faith isn't being challenged. You want to run the straight race, you don't want any obstacles in the way. But though practicality called for human help, faith overruled and meant that if God is in this, he'll see it through. What's that mean to you? That means you need to know when to pull your hands off the operation. It's time to pull your hands off. You know, I've been in the middle of stuff. <laughs> I've said it this way. I've said it this way in the middle of an opera, stuff that's going on. Just like Jesus on the cross, I said, God, into your hands I commend my spirit. It's all you now. I, listen, folks, it was just last July 9th. I was in that very spot. Into your hands, God. It's over to you. If you want me to continue ministry, then you're going to make sure I get out of this operation and then everything's repaired and my heart's going strong. Well, obviously, I'm still standing here today. Some of you are in a place right now where you need to pull your hands off and say, God, do what you do. A word from God is powerful medicine, church. Ezra knew that he was walking. Now, listen, listen. This is where Dr. Charles Stanley, he would say, listen. <laughs> He'd say it more like, listen. But he knew he was walking in a prophetic word of, from God for Israel. Ezra knew. Why did he know that? Because he knew the prophecies of both Isaiah and Jeremiah. They had prophesied the restoration for Judah, Jerusalem, and the temple. Ezra knew the word. Come on, look at your neighbor right now. Say, do you know the word? Tell him, tell him God's talking to you right now. Some of you are taking a trip. It's a faith journey. 
Wish I had Mylon Lefebvre right now on the platform singing, I'm going to take a trip, that good old gospel ship. I am going far beyond the sky. I'm going to shout and sing till all the heavens ring when I bid this old world goodbye. What I want you to know and understand is that knowing the word of the Lord made it possible for Ezra to take a leap of faith or to leap the faith hurdles. He had a word from God. He wasn't standing on his own. He wasn't trying to simply operate in what his human understanding and capabilities were, but he knew that he was standing on the word from the Lord. I can leap though over those faith hurdles. Just knowing the word though is not limited to just that, folks, because you also have to know that you're in the will of the Lord. So knowing you are in the will of the Lord is the first step in winning the race and leaping your own faith hurdles. Now it's coming home to roost for you. This is personal now. If you're in his perfect will, it's easy to apply faith knowing you're destined for success. Hmm. I think I only got six amens, the best I could tell from that. So let me back up. Under letter B. Knowing you are in the will of the Lord is the first step in winning the race and leaping your own faith hurdles. God had prophesied you will be returned to your land. God had said you will rebuild. Ezra knew when the word came from the king, it's all right, guys. Go ahead on. Build that temple. He knew. God was in it. I'm in the will of the Lord. If you know you're in his perfect will, not just his permissible will, God will let you do things, get away with things. You'll be all right. You'll get your way through it. But God will actually, if you're in his perfect will, It'll become easy for you to apply faith knowing you're destined for success. Say to your neighbor, I am destined for success. Now and then you need to make a confession of faith. Come on, look them in the eye and say, I am destined for success. Because listen to me, if you are actively doing what God wants done, you can rest assured it will be done. Amen. Now say amen. amen. And how's that translated to you in your everyday life? What it means is this, if God... If you're in God's will, 
every step, every hurdle along the way will be completed. Oh, hallelujah. I'll say it for you. Boy, do I want to preach more. I want to dig into this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do this to you guys. With all the baptism service and all, I know I could keep you for another half hour. I won't do that to you. But I have to say this. I told you the story about Oneida, New York, right? So we left the ministry, and the way God was talking to us, he told us that we were to go in a time frame that gave us six weeks. Six weeks. All right, I got to tell you this. This is good stuff. Sit. Nick, tell him this is good stuff. Good stuff. All right, thank you, Nick. <laughs> we had six weeks. Practicality said, call people you know. You got to have a job for six weeks. You got to get some stuff. Got to have a little bit of income because you're six weeks in the place making a transition. In a six-week period, we would have to sell a mobile home that we owned. We'd have to have work for that time frame and then pack up our bags and sell off to, if you will, Oneida, New York. I call ahead. I worked for a man doing orange groves and ranch work. He owned several hundreds, about a thousand acres between orange groves and ranch. Had about 300 head of cattle, and uh, he was over about 500 acres of orange groves. Pretty big operation. Always had work. Every time I ever asked him if he could use some help, he always said yes. I called him up days before we were to go, and he said, I'm sorry, Cole. I can't help you. I, I have enough guys on the workforce. I have some, and I had been in charge for him. I'm saying that at that point in my history with him, I had worked for him. I was his supervisor for, for three years on all of those operations. And, but he didn't have anything. Sorry, I can't help you. We left Waco, Texas on a... Thursday, traveled to Wachula, Florida, got there on Friday evening. We stayed in the rattiest hotel you have ever seen in your life in between. Don't ever stay in a hotel in South Mississippi and you don't know the name of the hotel. That was a faith hurdle right there. There was some stuff going on, mm -mm. not to mention the roaches. Anyway, we'll move on. The very definition of seedy, that was that place. We're walking in obedience to the Lord. He got our back. On Saturday, when I got up and about, I called the same man, Charles Ray Cowart. And I said to him, is there any chance that something has changed since we last spoke and you need some help? You'll never guess, Cole. Just yesterday, my foreman broke his arm 
he'll not be able to work for a time. Anybody want to guess how long he was not able to work? Now, that's just my testimony, my side. If I could tell you all about what God did with this woman, she made more money in six weeks than she had met or ever made to her life at that time. Anyone believe that Pastor Amy could sell advertising? She did it, boy. You let her get on. That was back in the day when people actually answered their phones when they rang. So why am I telling you all of this? Every step, every step. I wish I could fill in this gap for you guys. Every step in that process. We did sell our home. We sold it in two days, and the woman who bought it got saved and healed. There's always opposition, though. So don't confuse God taking care of every step by saying there's no opposition. It all should be free and easy. It ain't all free and easy. There's always opposition. Look at what Ezra 4 verse 6 says. This is predating when we, what we read earlier. What Ezra says. This is what he's looking into. Years later, when Xerxes began his reign, the enemies of Judah wrote a letter of accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. You know what the letter said? Cease and desist. Stop your work. Do not continue. Else you'll run into the fierce hand of the now king. This was the battlefield Ezra was running into. This was what Ezra was looking into. This is what his view was at this point when Ezra comes on the scene. He knew how the enemies of Israel, or God's people, had stepped in the way prior. The enemies stepped in the way. Letters were sent. People were contacted. Complaints were made and registered in the right places to cause the work to stop. The work was stopped. In fact, the sins of their past were aired in front of everybody. I'm filling in the gap. You want to read the Ezra. Read it, read it, and then jump right into Nehemiah. This is good stuff. This is real stuff that happened. I wish Hollywood would do this story right. And here's the problem. The sins of their past, Israel's past, was aired in front of the current administration. The current administration wasn't aware of King Cyrus's declaration now two administrations earlier. They didn't know. What am I telling you? Let me fill in the gap just a little bit. This is now two kings after Cyrus had made the declaration, go on back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Two administrations later. They didn't know what King Cyrus had said. And now when the letters come and the complaints are made, they're told to stop doing their work. 
Their sins are aired in front of the current administration, and the current administration says, you are troubled people. I don't want you rebuilding there. I don't want you doing that work. And so they had to go in through a whole ordeal of looking into the books, checking the letters, going into the historical archives. Sometimes you got to dig deep. You got to exercise your rights. Sometimes you got to know where you stand so that when the enemy comes against you and is trying to tell you you can't continue to jump these faith hurdles, you need to look the enemy in the face and say, wait a minute, I have another word. I know who I am. I know who's got my back. I know who's gone ahead of me. I know who is beside me. I know who is behind me. And I'm going to jump this hurdle. There's a whole lot of parallels, by the way, with America today and forgetting our past and who we are. People in high places telling us we're not a Christian people. No, I don't stomach it. I know where we were founded and what principles we were founded on, and I can't, you can't change our history. You can't change it. You don't have to like it, but you can't change it. The work had been stopped by the opposition before Ezra had come into the picture. That's why I say it was a hurdle. It's a faith hurdle. And if you missed everything else now, turn your neighbor right now, say, pay attention. Elbow them if you have to. Smack them upside the head. Wake up. I want you to hear this. I really want you to walk out of here today, and if you forget everything, since this is near the end of the message, I want you to, I want you to remember this. You will never do a great work of God and avoid hurdles. If you have no hurdles, you're not doing a great work and your faith isn't being exercised. If you don't have any, if you're not having to struggle, if you're not having to exercise your faith to get over that hurdle, then you're not doing a great work of God. Everybody out there right now, you don't have to say amen. You don't have to shout, dance, and stand up. But if you're in the middle, if you're looking at a hurdle that's requiring you to exercise your faith, you ought to say, thank you, Jesus, I can do it. Let me close this thing off today. It's the first time I've taken you past one in a long, long time. How do I apply this in my life? How do you apply it into your life and family? Number one, hear me when I say this. Hear from God. Hear from God. Why do I say it that way with that kind of intensity? Quiet down so you can hear. You've been listening to a lot of garbage. You let a lot of mess get in these ears. Stop chattering at God and start communicating with God. 
Stop telling God how much you need and start telling him how good he is. Come on, you know what the word of God says, don't you? It says he knows your needs before you even ask it. He knows what mess you're in. He knows how difficult your life is. Stop whining and complaining at God and start talking to God like he was somebody that loved you, cared about you, and knows your life and your circumstance. Don't believe I deserve this, God. I can't imagine why I could get into the middle of this mess and how all of this could happen to me. What did I ever do to deserve this? Stop! If you can't thank him for anything else, thank him for this. Thank you, Jesus. You came down to this earth. You gave your life. You shed your blood. You never committed one sin, and yet you gave up your life and shed your blood so I could be free and spend eternity in heaven. And if the best you get is just that, eternity in heaven, pretty good, isn't it? So stop chattering at God and start listening for God. Get quiet enough that you can actually hear him. Communicate with him. Yes, God does talk to his people. So you can be one of those weird people that you get around them and you, you start talking to them. And you know, the Lord told me today, and you're thinking automatically, he's one of those people. They... God talks to them. I don't remember hearing prophet. I don't remember priest. I don't remember king. I don't remember pastor. None of that stuff on your label. Yeah, God talks to regular people like you. But we need to get quiet enough so we can hear him. And when you do get quiet, seek him for direction and answers. Seriously, church. Actually seek him for direction. He might tell you to go to Oneida, New York. (laughs) And you don't know nobody in Oneida, New York. And I can tell you, we did not know anybody. And it made no sense in our heads. But it was an Abrahamic moment. And like Abraham, if we didn't do what God said to do then in that time, in that situation, we're not standing here right now. I'm not preaching to you right now in this place. I don't know you if that didn't happen then. Second thing, know God's word for you. Come on, church, know God's word for you. He didn't give us all of his word so we could flounder around in ignorance, not knowing what to do and how to do it. He has provided direction in his word for you. He's given all that you need really in his word for you. Just start doing what his word says. Find out what his will is. And start doing that. He has provided a multitude of promises in his word to help you in every 
area of your life so you can leap the hurdles of life. Anybody out there that needs to and say, now I'm willing to leap some hurdles of faith, leap up to your feet right now. Say it. Make it your testimony right now. I'm ready to leap some hurdles. I can do it. I know that God is with me. I know I'm in his will. I can cast aside every weight, all of the mess that's, that would beset me. I'm ready to leap some faith hurdles. In fact, preacher, I'm willing to exercise my own faith. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Really would love for you to just go quiet. Don't use this as an opportunity to leave. Just give me three more minutes. Don't use it as an opportunity to leave. While God is talking to people, please respect him and his work in people's hearts because I'm dealing with eternity right now. If you're here right now and if, if you were to be raptured or if tragedy were to befall your life and we can't know about tomorrow if you were to die right now or in a half an hour from now on your drive home are you certain you'd go to heaven and if you're not but want to change it with heads bowed eyes closed nobody's looking around lift your hand up right where you're at you're not sure lift it up lift it up Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. You can put those hands down. The most important decision you can make, the first, first faith hurdle you have to leap is just the faith that it's required to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart. I did the easy thing. Heads were bowed and eyes were closed. Now I'm going to ask you to do the hard thing. If you raise your hands, you mean business with God. I want you to walk out of that pew right now and come down to these altars so I can pray with you to get things right with God and let's be sure of it. So you're walking out of here saved and you know it. Come on. Come on, all of you that raised your hands, you mean business? Come on. Hey, we still got room. You can see we got lots of room. And now you won't even be the first one. I'm going to pray with these guys that are down here now. Even if this is not your first time down here or at an altar, pray like it is the first time. I'm going to help you. You can help them. Still got room for you. Still got room for you. Some of you have walked away from God. 
You're standing here right now and the Holy Spirit is churning inside of you and you're thinking, I need to be up there, I need to be up there. I'm not sure if I died right now, if Jesus has any reason to let me into heaven. If that's you, you get out of that pew. Come on, don't walk out of this place in wondering. Come on, don't let that be you. Nobody else can answer to God for you. Nobody. It'll be you and Jesus. And he's going to look at you and say, what did you do with my life and your death? You have the moment right now. Holy Ghost is still working, church. I don't hesitate because I don't know what to do. I'm hesitating because the Holy Ghost is giving some of you an opportunity to seal up your life for eternity. Won't you take a couple minutes and say, yeah, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need Jesus. And I'm going to get it right today. I ain't walking out of here wondering if God's going to let me in heaven or not. Here we go. You're standing here now. Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I ask you today to forgive me of my sins. I want to thank you, Jesus, for giving your life and shedding your blood so I could be free. My sins will no longer contain me. My sins will no longer take me to death. But because you rose from that grave, I too am resurrected to new life. From this moment, Jesus, I am yours. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website www.centralfamily.net or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel, not only to the Lehigh Valley, but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.